0: You're now listening to the Talking Pictures podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth.
1: Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. So happy to be here today. It's time for another interview. Well, actually, she's returning to the show from literally almost three years to the day. Anastasia Massaro. Welcome. How are you today?
0: Good. Thank you for having me again.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. I know you'd come on for Tully uh, got the joy to watch it again last night. Today, everyone, we're gonna talk about Tully, which is Charlize Theron, written by Diablo Cody, directed by Jason Reitman. Then we're gonna talk about a film called Life, which is this really cool, it's on the art house side about James Dean. I should have his name written down. What's the photographer's name, Anastasia? Dennis Stock. Yes. That very famous photo that you guys know of him in Times Square. It's about all that went into this relationship. It's really cool. It's really interesting. Uh, Ben Kingsley. What an interesting choice for Jack Warner. Uh, We're going to kick this off with uh, The Imaginary of Dr. Parnassus. Heath Ledger's last film is uh, one of the historical reasons for it. It also garnered Anastasia an Oscar nomination. A BAFTA nomination, although there's no photographical proof. (laughs) Uh, But with that, we will kick off the first question, the most cliche question on the planet. Of all the things in the business, why production designer?
0: You know what? Nobody's ever asked me that. Wow. (laughs) Um, I wasn't going to work in film at all. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. I wanted to be an archeologist. And my dad told me that I was going to be poor forever (laughs) if I did that. (laughs) Um, but it was his fault because he was always taking me to see Indiana Jones movies. Um, and then I decided I wanted to be a doctor. So I was in university and my roommate at the time, um, was, and she was ADing, or she was TAD. She was a TAD. She was a trainee AD on a, on a small film that David Cronenberg was in. Um, and so she was coming home and telling me about Set Every Day. And she mentioned the art department. I said, what exactly does the art department, like, what's the art department on the film? Because I had, I had always loved film. Like, I, I grew up watching, um, I think it was Fox 29, I think it was called at the time. It had like a lot of B movies. It had Roger Corman, Vincent Price movies, which I loved. Metropolis was on once a week. And I loved Baron Munchausen, Terry Gilliam's Baron Munchausen. So I asked her if it was anything like that. And I wasn't really loving university. I love learning. I still love learning. But I I just really didn't love the bureaucracy. And so I, I asked her a bit more questions about the art department. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what this is about. I'm going to give it a shot. And the first movie I um, worked on was this very little movie um, with these producers that were, had offices in this commercial building in which I was living. And then I volunteered on Vincenzo Natale's um, feature Cube, which wound up doing really well. So I volunteered on that for about two months. And I just really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what, I would really like to do, I would really like to do things like Baron Munchausen.
1: That's a wild one from a design point of view.
0: Yeah, it's a fun one.
1: I, I have to say, I haven't seen it in years, but I remember it being a, like Brazil, just a like, wow, it plays with your brain.
0: Mm-hmm. It was very fantastical. It was very, very whimsical, which is, which is a world I like to live in daily. A whimsical one, yeah.
1: So this film did well, and then that
0: just the film wound up being Cube wound up being well received, and I just I just kept up with, you know, I just I joined the union here and started working in the art department.
1: In the world of other departments, mainly cinematography, where I hear this uh, this debate of kind of the what is it? You had to be a second AC, a first AC, a camera op. And now cinematographers, no disrespect at all, because I've had some great ones on that just started out as cinematographers. Was this where you had to do set dressing, lead person, buyer, then jump to an assistant?
0: No, because that's a different department. So the set tech department is different than the art department. I did, I did do all the um, positions in the art department, which was, you know, I, I was a junior person. I did graphics. I drafted. I art directed for a while, um, which... A lot of people don't seem to understand what, don't understand what art directors do. Um, they're not actually designing anything. They're not directing any art. They're managing the entire department as well as construction and paint. They're making sure I stay on budget. Um, they're my right hand and my set decorator is my left hand. So they're okay. two heads uh, of my team. So I did do all of that. I know there are people who, who don't do all those positions. I know that there are production designers who just you know, come out of film school and they've done a lot of you know, film projects and they, are st- they continue working with the group that they've been working with and, and they just production design short films and then slowly start getting bigger ones. So I don't think it's something that you have to do, but, I, but I'm certainly happy I did it because I learned, I learned how to do my job and how to budget and how to work within departments because the the bulk of my job 20% of my job is the creative the rest of my job the 80% is is managing is managing egos and managing departments <laughs>
1: <laughs> egos in the film world
0: it's, you said it. it's it's a lot like that i'm not sitting at my desk drawing these pictures all day long, which is, I'm in meetings all day long. My designing is done in the evenings, maybe once in a while at work and on my weekends. I don't have time to sit and draw pretty pictures all day. I I, I just don't. People are asking me a million questions all day long. We're in meetings all day long, especially in pre-production.
1: So so with this work that you do on the weekend, are you still old school sketching by hand, or have you now moved into uh, computer programs that obviously based on the effects of Dr. Imaginarium uh, was available. So what were you doing on that show?
0: We did, we worked by hand on, on the Imaginarium and I, I mean, our previs wasn't by hand. Our previs was on the computer, but, and our graphics were on the computer, but I like when I lay out a floor plan, I generally draw at a quarter inch scale, which is what my floor plans are usually like what our floor plans are usually handed out for to construction as. So I'll draw it out at quarter inch scale and then I'll sketch in pencil to work things out. Cause it's just easier for me to, to just scribble as I'm, you know, developing my thoughts on something. Sometimes all like, like if, if I have time on a show, I will do drawings that I then watercolor. That's not, I, I don't have that very often on, um, on life. I, I painted in Photoshop.
1: Like, would you say an example would be, they walk into Times Square and it's supposed to be 50 years ago. Like, is that.
0: No, that what, what we did was that was in, that was in three different, components. So we figured out the math of Times Square. So I drafted that up and then did all the research to, to figure out what buildings went where, pulled up a bunch of photographic research, sent that all to the VFX team. In the meantime, in studio, we were building the street scene and the front of the Astor Theater. And figuring out the math to that, to try to figure out what lenses camera was going to be using so that we could specifically get that shot. And like the building and James Dean and that stretch of, you know, that median all in the correct spot to get that shot.
1: Wow. That makes sense that you were going to med school or had all these other scientific skills. Like, do you do you think because what you explained sounded so scientific So in your approach to design, do you feel like you have more of a scientific specific or are you kind of willing to be like a jazz musician that kind of just, you're going to go with the riff of what your design is going to be?
0: Well, the creative part is instinctual. So I guess that part is the part that I go with the riff, but I'm not just creating, you know, I'm not creating pretty spaces. I'm creating spaces that are working, that are supposed to be working for particular action. So if, if the director, like, you know, Terry Gilliam, um, would, had some had storyboards for a lot of stuff. Um, Jason Reitman's really great at, you know, describing what he wants in terms of what the scene's gonna be. Wayne Kramer, completely spoiled, handed me a, a booklet of the entire movie storyboarded right off the top. So it helps me to be able, it helps me see how the director is seeing the shot, because or else I'm going to try to create a space for the shot that I, the shots that I see in my head to try to give enough of a set that the director will have enough directions and shots to play with. So it's not just, oh, I'm creating a pretty space. So the, the, the jazz musician part, I guess, is you know the easy creative. How do I want this to look? How do I want this to feel is my bigger one. How do I want this? this whole thing to just come together. Then the rest of it is, how do I physically make this space work for camera? Because sometimes you'll come to set, you'll come to a set and you're like, "What? why is that on the left? Why is that on the right? Something does not make sense for real life, but makes sense for a camera setup. Oh, okay. So it's a bit of both.
1: That's interesting. So since you had kind of mentioned you're creating these camera angles. You're thinking that in uh, how far or how intricate is the cinematographer relationship? Because I was noticing, and of course we know now there's a, there's more effects, or there was at the time, tweaking, color timing is no longer just a guy in a room with a colorist. I mean, to a degree, you know what I mean? How specific, say, in the grandeur of Dr. Do you kind of, I mean, you obviously don't have a shot list, but what is kind of the DP relationship?
0: Um, sometimes I do have a shot list. Oh, you do? Wow. Sometimes. Sometimes I, get a, sometimes I get a shot list. Um, Nicola, I had worked with before, actually on Tideland. I was the art director on Tideland. And at the beginning of the movie, he gave me a whole booklet of shot lists, whoa, which I've never seen awesome. before. It was, it, was, it was pretty great. Um, he's, I, I loved working with him. He's really awesome. Um, Parnassus' sets though, yes, we have a huge relationship, the, the DP and I, but Parnassus' sets were not, they were different because they were not enclosed. They were not interior spaces that were confined by walls, if that makes sense. Like a lot of it was on green screen. So a lot of the lighting came from outside, from off camera that you didn't see. Whereas on, on life, for example, yes, there was, there, was, there was more of that, especially also on like on, on Breakout Kings or um, who I worked with, um, Jimmy Whitaker, who, who I also did Pawn Shop Chronicles with. Um, we text each other all the time when we're working together. Um, he'll say, can I have this? Or, you know, oh. I'll, I'll send him a message. Can, you know, I did this. Can you make, can you make sure that gets on camera? Um, same thing on life it a lot of interior spaces so especially when we're working with digital as opposed to film there seems to be not a lot of time being given for lighting and so a lot of it is falling to to the art department to provide practical lighting so practical lighting is is you know the lamps the the wall sconces that you see on set and back when i started yes there was there were practicals on set but there were also lights coming from beyond set to light a scene and and now it seems to be getting more and more where um because of time constraints i'm told that they're you know that they're relying on on the cinematographers are relying more on us to supply lighting for their scenes
1: you mean you're you're set to provide a light space
0: to for them to light the scene with
1: oh okay i see
0: Right. So sometimes we'll be talking and they'll be like, can we have a lamp there and a lamp there and a lamp there? And I'll be like, this is going to start looking like a lamp store. Can we not? Can we have a little bit, you know, can we have less? Well,
1: because I noticed, like you were saying, there was, I mean, other than the fantasy scenes and when they go through the window, I was, I really dug the checkerboard design of...
0: That was when the wagon was white, right? The wagon. Yeah. So, so it, made it made me think, me think of, of that old, that old Tom, Tom Petty, Petty video. video.
1: They're like crawling up mushrooms. Don't yeah, come around Matt here Hatter. no more. Yeah, Matt Hatter. Yeah. Was there any kind of Somewhere on that for you? No. For you?
0: No. I mean, we it, it, that particular one was we were trying to create a sense of confusion.
1: Okay. There was so much subtext, and I haven't. I mean, you know this, but I'm saying, I haven't seen this since it came out. Um, it was such a pardon my language, mind foot. <laughs> I remember my friend and I were watching it for the specific reason of being Ledger's last film. It just hit DVD. And we were both- He was a much more of a Gilliam fan. And yeah, so I'm- When I re-watched it, I was just like, wow, I wish I would have caught all this subtext about just appreciation and you know, finding your joy. And uh, so that's when I was looking at the sets. I was wondering, like, does Terry Gilliam, the crew, do kind of have to set a tone to what's going with that, you know, day or situation for the set? I mean, are you kind of like wanting to be darker or wanting to be lighter? I mean, how does that...
0: No, I mean, the tone on that movie was pretty much the, the same from beginning to end. Um, which I would say, having worked with him twice, that's, that's just the kind of way that he works. He sets the tone at the beginning and the train starts moving and you're either in the first train car with them, or you're like holding on to the back is what it's like. That's great. It, it's moving fast. And what he's great with, what Terry is great with, I have to say, um, he'll say that he that he vacillates, and occasionally he does. I, I don't see a problem with that. I mean, he can make a decision. He can see. He can, he can see, which is great, which is extremely helpful. But he's also been around long enough to know that you can't keep you can't keep beating an idea. You know, like you can't keep saying you can't keep asking for options. Because you're running out of time. He's really great at when you're presenting some, you know, an idea or a version of something. He'll be like, OK, let's tweak tweak this, tweak that. And then we run with it. He doesn't need to see it like you know, five more times. As intimidating as I think sometimes people think that it might be working for him, he's really, he's, he's really artist friendly that way. Because he's an artist, so he understands that we need to move. We can't, keep, we can't keep harping on something. Unless something doesn't work, that's different. But it's here, it's, it's great, it's here, it's gorgeous, it's here, it works, let's go, let's keep going. Uh. Especially when there's so many elements in a movie, especially like that one. You can't keep going, I don't know, is this the right flower? Should we do a different, what about, a, let's move on, let's move, the train's moving. <laughs> there's a whole lot of things going on and we got to keep going so i love him for that Uh,
1: that's really (laughs) that's really cool i I think thanks for sharing that input because something else that i wanted to draw attention to about the film was it had to have been a year two before the social network so what i really liked seeing was andrew garfield and heath ledger Which is one of those, like, if you ever said, who would you like to have seen work with Heath Ledger? You know, like Adam Driver and Heath Ledger or Mm -hmm. River and Ledger. And I was just kind of like, wow, I'm seeing what, how I would answer the question. But he wasn't known. So I really also want to recommend the movie for people that uh, Andrew Garfield fans, uh, you get to see before he was just fighting with Jesse Eisenberg over Facebook. Um, Or, you know, Hacksaw Ridge is another great one. The movie shot in London, Vancouver. And I loved seeing the library. Um, I wish I would have been able to tell what was Gastown. But um, from what I read on the internet, you guys wrapped Heath Ledger in London. And then, of course, he tragically died. You guys moved on to Vancouver. So if you're allowed to say this, I would love to know the answer, but uh, what were some of the scenes or were they, I guess, were they meant to have Ledger or did they kind of have to change with some of the themes that changed because it was new? Like the guy, when he looks in the mirror with the woman and he's like, oh, that isn't me. And it's like Johnny Depp saying that because Heath Ledger's not there. So... Is there anything you can comment about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember that time vividly. So filming in London had started at the beginning of December, which is when I left London to start uh, all the studio work and the rest of the location work in Vancouver. So I'd been working there for a month. Terry flies over. Terry and the rest of the crew fly over. We go out on a tech scout with, with the crew. And when we get back to the office, my decorator comes into my office, Shane Vo, and says, and tells me that Heath has passed away. I said, what are you talking about? And then I hear a big bang and some swearing in the office next to me. And I realize that's Terry and he's just passed away. Um, we were on Tech Scout. Like we were, we were on a survey when it happened. So Immediately, I mean, we were all just in shock. And then some people left the building. Some people from other shows started calling my crew to try to hire them to go to their shows. Um, yeah, I was like, everybody settle down. Um, we just went home for the day. And then I got a call to come back the next day so we could regroup. So yeah. Heath had shot pretty much almost all of his shots outside of the Imaginarium, all the real world shots. So yeah. what was decided was that, you know what? When you go through the mirror, you could be somebody else. You could look like somebody else. Interesting. Nothing changed in the script other than the concept of when you go through the mirror, you could be somebody, you could look like somebody else. It wasn't rewritten. I, I read some, you know, some stuff in the papers saying, oh, they, you know, had to, you know, change the, the movie for for the, for the for his death. But we but it didn't. It was structured. The movie was structured in such a way that they could get three different actors to play him when he went through the through the mirror. So there were still um, there were still some elements of him in the real world, and those were they did get a, a body double, and he had a mask on for those portions. But in terms of having gone through the mirror, it wasn't rewritten. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really because I had always wondered. I, you know, like you just said, I'd always thought they moved stuff around, or I'd read those articles, and I was trying to watch today with a close eye, and I was thinking, you know what? I gotta. I wonder if. There's something she can share about that. So Yeah,
0: we hadn't shot yeah. those scenes yet. Those were all in studio, so we hadn't done any studio work yet.
1: Do you have a, I guess I would say, a best lesson from Doctor that you would, you could sit down and just be like, oh, there's no way I would have learned that as a production designer?
0: You know, I I don't know. Other than working with Terry is a constant lesson in humility. So you just, you just, I think... I think you learn to just go with the flow.
1: Interesting. Cuz there's such an aura, right, when you say even when you say the word Gilliam to film fans or to people outside of the business that don't know. Yeah, he's one of those directors
0: do. that people, you know. I actually I hate being asked what's it, what's it like working with him in an interview. It happens every once in a while and I just want to I just because the because I feel like I'm it's a, it's a trap. I feel like people are the the person asking just wants me to give them the answer that they want to hear rather than having me set them up for sitting too close to the ballet, you know?
1: Hold on a sec. I got to cross off. What is it like to work with Gilliam? Hold on. (laughs) When we sat down to start this show, that was one of the things that I told the producers I was like, i want to find every standard um and i just want to i would go through and i would pick apart and just be like i don't want to give guests that question you just said so thank you for mentioning that main compound where they wake up was that something that you built a lot or did you guys find a good location and you just added to it or how was that that
0: battersea power station that was out that was outside, right? When the when the Yes. It's all fallen apart. Yeah, we shot there after um Batman D- The Dark Knight after they had shot there.
1: Wow, that's spooky.
0: So there was a lot of their rubble. I think some stuff just got ah. swept, you know, moved around, swept aside, cleaned up. But that was mostly that was Battersea Power Station, which is which was a beautiful location.
1: Where is, where is that at? That's in London. That is so sp- spooky that you shot that where the dark knight was shot. I guess it's not spooky for you cuz you were there, but, right. but I didn't mean to go off on a. Uh maybe I played that up for dramatic purposes.
0: <laughs> I mean, locations get reused a lot. So I I don't find it all that spooky.
1: I would like to move into life because I saw what you did here is really cool that I want everyone out there to know. Uh doctor was Creating for the most part a fantasy world. I mean, we all know that streets exist and people, and but then life is replicating something that happened. That, of course, you have photos or uh, films. And so, I want to kind of, I guess, I'll use the Pantagus as an example. Were you looking, what is your like research pile like? I mean, is it just films, photos? I mean, not that. I guess would there be old sketches of the Pantages? Do you go down to Hollywood Boulevard and hang out around the Pantages for a little while? Like, how does that work for you?
0: Okay, so the Pantages that you see in the movie actually, I had um, pulled all the all the photos, all the research on what the Pantages looked like back then, and. What you see in the movie is a lot like what the Pantages looks like right now. It wasn't really changed.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. Right.
0: So for the Aster in New York, that required more digging because there just, there just wasn't very much. But for that movie in general, Parnassus was mentally and emotionally challenging, not logistically challenging. Life was logistically challenging because it was a low budget movie. I think we had $12 million, $14 million which means a less prep time. And I found out I, I was going to do that movie right after we did the Arcade Fire video with Anton Corbin. So I started my research as soon as I found out I had the job. So Fairmount, Indiana is about seven hour drive away from my house. So I went down to Fairmount, um, where James Dean's family lives. Oh wow. Yeah. And his, his cousin, Marcus was, Marcus Winslow was really, was really nice. And, um, let me come over to the, to the house. He showed me the barn. He showed me, um, you know, the tractor, the famous tractor in, in, in the, in the photographs. He asked, um, he had the, the museum there opened up for me so that I could go in and take pictures in person. Cause all the, all the photographs are in black and white. And, um, you know, I didn't want to guess what colors things were. And then, uh, David Lohr, uh, who runs the Fairmount Gallery um, the James Dean Gallery in Fairmount rather, he had uh, all of the contact sheets from Dennis Stocks, um, photo shoots with, with James. So I took a lot of photographs of that. I took a lot of photographs of, of things that, that David had there in person. Um, and because I had met them before, then during production, um, I, could, I called him up. Like I remember when we were doing the Sweetheart Ball I could see in, um, in the yearbook, because we had found a yearbook, that there was a, you know, there was a queen, but I was like, is there a king? So I called down to David and um, they were like, oh, hold on a minute. My neighbor was at that dance. Let me ask. Wow. And then they introduced me to a very sweet man, Russell, um, who lives in James Dean's apartment in New York City on 68. Uh, he still lives there. He's been living there for 40 years. So he let me go to his place and measure the space, which is how I figured out that there was a a little potbellied stove in that apartment. It's really tiny. And then who else? They had also told me that there was this man, Donnie in Texas, who had rebuilt a section of the apartment in his home. And so I Googled him and I found his wife. She had a blog at the time. And I emailed them and within five minutes, they contacted me back. And so then Donnie helped me um, figure out what some of the images were on the walls or some of the books, some of the items. So that all happened before I ever officially started prep. Wow. Because once we were in prep, again, I have no time. And a a, a lot of the way I work in film is I do a lot of my research before I start. Because I don't have time because as soon as you start, you're then in meetings, you're scouting, you're looking for locations, Uh, you know, you're answering a million questions.
1: Do you have a favorite tool or instrument that you draw the most from in research?
0: It depends. For that one, I used a lot of, Will Dennis Stocks stuff. But I also used um, a lot of Magnum Photographies, um, different photographers who took photographs of that time period. So especially for New York City during that time.
1: Yeah, because I guess it's mostly in New York, but like, so not much stuff other than like, did you guys film at the actual Pantages?
0: We filmed at the Pantages. Yeah, we shot shot a little bit. We shot in Toronto and we shot in Los Angeles.
1: Oh, so you didn't shoot in New York.
0: We didn't shoot in New York. You
1: got to love that area where the Pantages is.
0: Well, that... Well, New York, the New York of the 50s doesn't exist anymore. Oh, of course. There's no. Po- and besides that, New York in the 50s didn't have the trees that New York has now. I mean, it looks a lot different. And Times Square doesn't look anything like it. So we weren't going to be going to Times Square anyway. It looks completely different.
1: Oh, of course. That's a great point. I guess there's no jumbotron. And-
0: right. Everything's different. Like, it's completely different. So there was no point in going there to shoot that.
1: Oh, that's a good... Yeah, that's because I love the Pantages. I don't know why. I just, you have something that was like a coolest fact that you came across while you were doing that movie. Something that probably only you would have learned because you had such a depth of stuff being presented to you.
0: Honestly, it was that stove in his apartment. I know it seems inconsequential, but it was, it was nowhere to be found in anything. And I'm, and what i loved most about that movie is is the people that i met doing the james dean research i'm still friends with russell and 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 people who helped me on that with the research of that film
1: well i mean it, it sounds like you couldn't have gotten anything better i mean it sounds like you got more than if you had had like the warner brothers archives or something on him i mean it just
0: people were really warm the the difficulty with that project was it was it was twofold with when you're doing a movie about such an icon a lot of people have have a certain way that they want James Dean presented. And I liked the way Dane played him. He played him the way James was in life, not the way James was on the screen. Um, so there was that. There was also the fact that the, you know, Anton wanted to be able to creatively change things. You know, like he didn't want, we weren't making a documentary. So, for example, the apartment, he decided he wanted it that really strong blue color, which it was not in real life and in the famous photos. So it was a little bit of, you know, you're trying not to make a you know, a documentary while you're also making a biopic of a very beloved American icon.
1: At an interesting time, right, that um, not that people I don't think people have to know, but it's, I might have this backwards, but wasn't it like he, one of his films he did before the other and they saved it to release because he got popular? Yeah. I, I don't know why I'm screwing that fact. I can't that,
0: remember which, which the order was, but I think you're correct.
1: I don't know, Issa and they're all so close and he was with us so short, right? I guess what I could appreciate most was, like you said, portraying the real him, all those bios, docs, books. Talk about those people that are just like, so against the hype and they just want it. Like, that's what I could appreciate about that. Uh, the dance scene, the sock hop, whatever, uh, do you have a, since you had kind of mentioned it, do you, is it like really fun to create something that just does not exist for our generation? Like there's not sock hops anymore. So how fun is that for you?
0: That was a lot of, um, hand, like handcrafted things for that set. Right. So the streamers, there was a, there were a lot of streamers or a lot of cut out cute hearts, all those, you know, all the decorations all those white sheets were all cut out by me and, and, and an art department assistant and a bunch of, a bunch of set dressers who were all on our hands and knees in a school gymnasium. Um, I mean, it was fun, but I don't want all my sets to be that
1: way.
0: <laughs> That's for sure.
1: <laughs> the process, right, might not be as fun as what you're doing, getting to do in the mind, right?
0: I, I find a lot of times people discount location shoots. That one was mostly a location shoot. I mean, we did build some things. We built his apartment. We built, you know, the actor's studio. Um, we basically gutted a, a shop and installed a little um, barbershop. But for the most part, that was a location movie. I just finished the biggest movie that I've done because it was, everything was in studio. And I will tell you that building something from scratch is a hell of a lot easier than having to finagle the walls and figure out how to work with an existing structure that you're trying to make look like something else. Wow. And I, I think a lot of people discount that when, oh, that was a location movie. Well, ask the production designer how much work they did to- to retrofit the sets into those spaces, like it's one thing if you know. Sometimes we go in and we you know just redecorate a place or change some furniture, but a lot of the times we're reconfiguring walls or and adding walls to try to make a space work, and and that's I, I find infinitely more difficult than creating a set from scratch, no matter how big.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. Because
0: you're like, imagine going into a space and you're like, okay, I want a wall to be there. Oh wait, it can't because there's already a wall there. It's going to be in the way of the wall that I want. Right? Oh right,
1: right. You can't remove my my roof just for the weekend shoot, right?
0: Yeah, it's 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 usually it's it's usually the walls that are the problem.
1: With life, there was such a um, again. This kind of goes to DP relationship. I guess I was looking at film stock was a, such a huge part of that. So do you have to be completely well-versed in specific stocks as well?
0: No, because they wanted to shoot that. I remember they wanted to shoot that on film and it was, it was cost prohibitive. So that was shot digitally. Oh yeah. Wow. But they shot it using different like filters to try to get the look of film. But that was a digital movie.
1: I I think film got pulled off.
0: Yeah. The fifties vibe helps as well.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, it shows you why I got D's in cinematography in film school. Well,
0: I'm sure she and Anton would be happy to know that you thought that was film.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I would have never, I would have never guessed. Um, it was really, I was like, this is awesome. Okay, so that was replicating life that existed before. And then Tolly, it's life. It's a world. Uh, Tolly is, of course, Charlize Theron and the ups and downs that she's going through after giving birth. Written by Diablo Cody, who, of course, every film she does, I feel like she creates her own little world. Of course, Juno was the biggest example of that. And I asked Eric Stielberg when he was on the show, like, how the hell did you go off of anything? Because this is just such an original movie. So did you have a way of looking that as a designer that you were going into Diablo Cody's world and you kind of could look at Juno and young adult.
0: No. Cause the way I thought of it was that I was going into Jason's world. Oh, okay. We'd had some conversations before because Diablo wasn't on set. Jason's Jason was on set. Right. Um, so it's, it's Jason's creation of, you know, it's his interpretation of her words. Um, and the way Jason approached it, there was, there was a couple of things. So we we're similar in age, and he wanted it to have this vibe of um i remember he liked the house in et it's
1: so funny that you said that because i saw a few scenes and i went this feels like et
0: that's good because that's what we were doing that's what we wanted to do we wanted that feeling we had talked a lot about how the movies of our childhood were you know they just felt really warm and really real it felt like people lived there so that was the look that we were going for we talked um jason Picked out, you know, like he told me what kind of colors he wanted and, and he's really good at telling me how he wants things to feel. So that's where, that's where we went with that. That's how we started with that. And then Jason found that house. He drove around Vancouver and he found that house and then we adapted it and built the second floor in studio.
1: Wow. The second floor is a studio.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the bedroom, the hallway, the bathroom, the nursery—that's all studio.
1: So was it just that the second floor was lame, or was it just a one-story house?
0: You know what, second floors are generally small; they're they're generally too small to shoot in. I did the same thing on Mama. The second that second floor is is a is a studio shoot, is a is a studio build. The the hallways are generally smaller, narrower. The rooms aren't necessarily you know all that big. Bathrooms. Are often very tiny, right? So yeah, that was that was all built. But in yeah. terms of her of the, of the main floor, that the stone wall wasn't there in the living room. The dining room got wallpapered. The appliances got switched out in the kitchen. Um, the banquet we put in the, the the wood paneling got put in as well. Uh,
1: okay, well- like
0: we made the house feel way way older than it looked like when we got there. I mean. There was a lovely elderly couple living there with, you know, white walls and nice furniture and we turned it into we turned it into a house that we wanted we wanted people to feel like these these young parents moved into this house with the full intention of renovating. And then another kid came. And then another kid came. And they're just they just they just haven't gotten to it yet. They just haven't gotten to a lot of stuff yet.
1: Oh, okay. Like it's a sinbad joke of Your parents were cool till they had you.
0: (laughs) Kind of like they meant to get to it. I found it it was really interesting actually talking to people about that movie because people got really, really critical of furniture pieces. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know about that couch. I don't know about that chair. And when I talk to people, I'm like, when was the last time you Mm -hmm. bought a couch? (laughs) Like, how often are you buying a couch? I I know one of mine is from 1996 because I remember the show that I was on when I bought it. And then the other couch, I'm pretty sure is 12 years old. Like, how often are people buying couches? I don't know. That couch looked old. Well, yeah.
1: I love it. (laughs) I mean, I I had a job to pay attention to that and I really wasn't caring that the couch looked different or... Their pillows were off when um
0: Yeah, people were like, I think one of my friends, I remember one of my friends was a production manager said, so Yeah, they were like they were like hoarders. I'm like, okay, you have clearly forgotten what your house looked like when you had two little boys in it. It was probably mayhem. I know what my friends' houses are like when, you know, when when they've got kids, you know, the ones who have children. There's toys everywhere. There's I mean, for God's sakes, my living room is covered in dog toys. I mean, <laughs> so but people got really judgmental oh yeah their house wasn't clean and i'm like i'm sorry no they don't have a cleaning lady you have no you know you've grown children and a cleaning lady of course your house looks spotless
1: oh that's so great you mentioned a nuance so that's just drawn off of jason reitman tells you you guys discuss nuance so you guys say she probably didn't get to the dishes today or like it gets that intricate
0: oh yeah and on, on that one, what I loved about that one, well, first of all, Eric Steelberg is, is wonderful. And he pulled me aside right at the beginning and was like, OK, so this is how Jason likes to work. This is, he doesn't like this. He doesn't like that. He loves this. He loves this. So I got a little bit of a primer right off the top, which I very much appreciated and was very kind of him. And then the other thing that I loved was that it was kind of hard to do research for that movie because you, you can't really go to you know magazines. Everything is very aspirational. And we did not want that. So realtor.com is is awesome if people haven't fluffed their homes, because then I can see what people do, how people live. And the other one I asked, I asked people that I put a little ABB on Facebook. And I was really surprised at who responded, because some people responded that I barely knew or met once. But especially new moms with one kid. Like people, people who don't have children I think a lot of times are really um, overwhelmed the first, you know, with their first child, especially right. if they're also you know, professionals who work outside the home. So I was like, hey, can, can you guys send me images of what your homes look like? And they were fantastic. There's like you know, two bottles of wine on the kitchen counter next to some diapers and some nail polish. Another one of my friends was like, Anastasia, decorate everything with one hand. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you, all you got is one hand because your other hand is carrying the baby. So a lot of the cupboard doors are just gonna be open. She's like, also, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. I'm always losing glasses of water. So she said, there's always glasses of water all over my house because I don't remember where I put the one I was drinking. Oh my God. She was like, I went looking for my car keys the other day and I found cheese in my purse and the car keys were in the fridge.
1: That's so great. So
0: we did a lot of that. Oh my God. My, one of my favorites with of the photos, Jason Jason really liked it. And we, and we played it in the movie was when you're like, when you've just... You know, you just gave up. Forget the table. You're never going to get to the dining to that dining room table. You're just going to cover it with a sheet of plastic and call it a day. <laughs> and then you do a wipe down.
1: Right. Oh my god, I love it. It. So that this is a question that I and I told Eric Spielberg when I interviewed him that I was going to steal it from him and I would credit him when I use it because <laughs> he was explaining Juno and he was like, you know, in hindsight, he's like. I don't even know if I would do Juno with my current sensibilities. And I was like, hey, man, that's a great question. So not saying you wouldn't work with Jason Reitman or the film itself, but is it something that you think with... Oh, no, sorry, that's only three years ago. Let's apply it to something. Do you have a film where nothing against the film director crew that your sensibility has changed to where... You don't know if maybe you would do that gig or it would fit with where you're at?
0: No, no. That's great. No, because I do them all for, I mean, they're all so different. I purposely pick things that are all different, that are different um, so that I'm not repeating myself. So no, no, I would do, I would do them all.
1: I like that. I I know you're chill, humble, Canadian.
0: (laughs) I think you need to be more
1: Canadian. I know you need to be more, everybody needs to be more Canadian. Um, But there is a degree where just in the scheme of the world and film history, what is it like that you've, like, you've made a mark? I mean, like I told you, you know, you're in film history books or you've made work that you know is gonna carry on. What, what is that like?
0: I mean, honestly, I don't think about that. I, I don't feel I've made, I've made much of a mark. I mean, I don't have, I don't have a long resume because I don't, I don't take a lot of jobs. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, until you told me I was in that history book, I didn't even know. Really? <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't know.
1: I, I would love if somebody told me I was in a history book.
0: Yeah, I'd be like, be cool. cool.
1: I mean, I'm
0: glad that that I've worked on movies that have resonated with people and that still resonate with people. That, of course, I'm lucky to have done that. And I hope I still keep doing that.
1: Yeah, because you hear that people talk about, right, like somebody approaches them or a film did something for somebody or meant something. So I guess that feeling you've had and can enjoy and can say at the end of the day that you got to do that.
0: For sure. I mean, I hope that I work on, I mean, I hope I work on, on films that just, that people enjoy watching when I'm looking for something to watch or looking for, I'm not, I'm not always looking for, to be moved. I'm not always looking to be, you know, to learn something. I'm looking to be entertained. I'm looking to be taken out of my regular life.
1: I didn't discover, is it, it's Tideland, correct?
0: Tideland, yeah.
1: I didn't discover that till like midnight last night. And I was like, oh, crap. I was like, I won't be able to watch it. And I love Jeff Bridges. He's like one of my all time favorites because I'm like a last picture show nut. So anyways, something because you had mentioned that so many people have asked you about working with Terry Gilliam. This would be what is something you would like to talk about being a production designer that nobody's ever asked
0: I guess it's to just explain to people more what we, what we do because I, f- I find that a lot of people don't know what the heck I do. They think I get furniture or paint walls, and I, I, I actually don't do either one of those things. Those are different departments in the art department, and just how much preparation goes into what you're seeing on screen, um, all the, all the locations work, all the you know all the drawings, all the liaising with, you know, with the the cinematographer, but also with the grips and with the gaffers and everybody and all the riggers who are helping to build and light the set. And then also afterwards with VFX, like the production that I just finished, um, there's a lot of VFX in it. So then working with the VFX department. And so I think that, that a lot of people don't know, because they don't know how much we do or what it is exactly that the production designer does. I think sometimes... When I think what's, I think sometimes when uh, let's say a movie's not well received by, you know, the critics or something that then the rest of the work of everybody who's worked on it get wanted. And it doesn't mean that we do less work because, you know, maybe the, the movie didn't speak to you.
1: Oh, okay. I see. So critic bashes in and it's not like the production design was bad or the production design did less. It was just like the story, the actors, the whatever reason they want to, Go after it is.
0: It's not so much the critics, it. like it's not so much the critics in, in print or anything. It's just like it, the critic of whoever is watching, right? So whatever whoever the person is that's watching. Oh, Okay. I I wish like I wish everybody had a chance to be on on like not just on set because people think that that's that's the what's on set is the weeks and months of work of all the planning that has been happening to get to that day to shoot that. And I wish there was a way of showing people how much needs to happen before that first day of camera.
1: Huh. Yes, I, I can speak to that just from being the spoiled PA who just is like, everybody's here and it's base camp. <laughs> it's free food.
0: Right. People go on about the free food. And you know what? On the last movie, I didn't eat dinner for four months. Four and a half months, I didn't have any dinner. You skipped crafty? I mean, there was food in in the arts department, but also COVID, right? So, COVID right. protocols were crafty, you know, craft service was a bit different. Um, but there, I, there was just no time. We were doing like 12 to 16, 18-hour days and most of our weekends for five months. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: That sounds like production.
0: Yeah, that was... Um, that was That's,
1: that, I mean, you actually were doing something during COVID.
0: I was, I was working on something during COVID. I started a job last July. I think it was, I can't remember if, time is just a blur right now. So I know right, it was July right. because it was disgustingly hot and I have, no air, I have no air conditioning. I can't remember if it was at the beginning of the second peak or just before the second peak in Toronto. And yeah, I, I mean, I am, I am done with Zoom calls. <laughs> like, <laughs> We were all in our own offices trying to Zoom, and then the internet wasn't properly working. And then, you know, people had some people had this fantasy of everybody working remotely, which was which is a giant mess, um, and just sucks up so much more time. You need more you need more time and more people if you've got a bunch of people working remotely. Um, plus, you know, just anxiety levels were high because you don't want to get COVID. Um, we're being tested every week. We're working with masks on, which you don't want to talk a lot with your mask because then it just gets gross and damp. And then, so it was. It was. Um, it was. It was frustrating.
1: Well, was it also? I guess this would be my last question about it. I, something that I've realized is like when you. I think we've all realized it, but when we go anywhere, we don't know what someone's real expression. So. Was there an interesting way of, I guess, working around that, you know, you don't know if your PA is just giving you a look that would get them fired? I mean, I'm not being negative.
0: Oh, but- honestly, I mean, I don't care if my PA is giving me a look that would get them fired. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> 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 go, go have your moment, you know? Right. Um, but there were times when me and the director were talking and, you know, like there was a lull and he'd, be, he'd point at me and be like, no, I'm smiling. I'm like, that's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: oh, I love it. <laughs> okay, that's totally fine. Or I'd be like, okay, I'm thinking, and he's like, okay, got, you know. So, we all then we got we got to know each other, right? Because yeah, you, you're all you're seeing are people's eyes. I mean, I remember one day we were out, my my art director and I were outside of the building, and we had our masks off because we were outside and and apart, and somebody across the street, um, it was the rigging rip, asked a question, and we've we've had we've had tons of conversations with him. And he comes over, and director looks at me, and she goes, I'm sorry, who are you? Are you stunts? And I was like, you have been talking to this man <laughs> for four weeks straight now, and you don't recognize him. And she's like, you look completely different with a mask off, I had no idea you have a beard. Like, I love
1: it, that's so great, because yeah. I've thought of that too. Or when
0: we were all on Zoom, we'd be like, oh my gosh, that's what you look like. I totally didn't think you looked like that, or who is that person talking?
1: <laughs> that's great. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you for sharing that. So I want to wind up with uh, just in your filmography, if you could pick two films that you would want people to uh, check out, uh, what would they be?
0: Um, Imagineer of Dr. Parnassus because of the amount of work, the amount of detail, the amount of love that went into building that whole world. Um, I feel very lucky that I got to work on that and Tully, because I think that's the most well-crafted movie I've I've worked on. It was a real pleasure to to go to work every day.
1: Well, I just want to say that you're very lucky. I'm sure Jason Reitman's just as cool, but Eric Spielberg. I just couldn't believe what a cool guy he was.
0: He's so sweet, isn't he? Yeah. I was he's so, so nice.
1: I, I almost wanted to ask him, like, I'm not someone you could have an agenda with, so you don't need to be so nice.
0: No, he's just nice. Yeah. He's just that nice.
1: Yeah. Everyone, you guys can check out the archives if you want to hear that episode with Eric Spielberg. It's from, I think, September, October. It's just a few months back, so... Um, With that, Anastasia, thank you so much for your time and coming back to the show.
0: Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me again.
1: All right. You have a great night. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. Uh, Always a pleasure to talk with. She's such a great, humble, creative person. And I like, really admire her work. You guys can check out the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus on Amazon Prime. It is a rental, but it is more than worth it. You guys can also check Tully on cinemax if you have a cinemax subscription and you can rent it it's 2.99 also worth it life is on nbc's peacock streaming uh, a lot of good stuff there uh, really interesting i'm glad we got to discuss life thank you for listening to us on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you get your shows You can also check out our website at www.talkingpictures.la for more goodies, top 10 lists, our archives, and special photos. And wonderful top 10 lists. Well, that's going to do it for me. You know my motto, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha!
0: Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation
1: and movie-induced inspiration.